This fall, we've been engaging the ministry and the mission of a first century Jewish rabbi who did some very first century Jewish rabbi kind of things, right? Um, Went into the synagogue on Saturday, uh, read and taught from the Hebrew scriptures, called 12 disciples reminiscent of the 12 tribes of Israel, very first century rabbi kind of things to do, right? But one day, this very first century Jewish rabbi did a very un-first century Jewish rabbi kind of thing. Um, He did something that shocked everyone around him, I'm sure. We saw the first part of it in Pastor Brian's message last week. If you were here, um, it's that story where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples on the lake, and he is sleeping. I love that. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and they are freaking out. Um, The wind and the waves have kicked up, and they are afraid that they're going to lose their lives. And they say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Um, But at the first part of that passage, Pastor Brian read for us in Mark 1, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we read this. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Um, This isn't something no rabbi, this is something no self-respecting Jew would do. His disciples must have asked, "Um, come again, the other side? Our moms and dads warned us not to go over to the other side of the lake or we would be grounded for sure. See, on the other side of the lake was a place called the Decapolis, a region of 10 cities. I think we have a map here. Um, You'll see on the left side, you've got Cana and Tiberias and Gennareset, Capernaum, Chorazin. On the opposite side, where it says Gergesa, that's where they're going, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This uh, this is a place where Roman power and military might, um, it was founded by Alexander the Great. It was filled um, with pagan temples that celebrated violence and greed and unrestrained human sexuality. Um, When I say that it was filled with temples that celebrated those things, I actually mean it was filled with temples that celebrated those things. This is not the place where good Jewish disciples would go, ever, and certainly not a rabbi. Um, They even worshipped pigs, this is true, and and for for, uh, good Jews, pigs are an unclean animal. Rabbis taught that this other side was where the seven nations of Canaan had settled, um, the ones that God had already driven out of the Holy Land, right? And so going to this other side at the outset of Pastor Brian's message last week is what um, led the disciples to fear for their lives. This is why they're on the lake, going to the other side, to be with those kind of people. We cannot underestimate how dramatic this would have been for them. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. To meet the kind of people that you meet on the other side of the lake. This is what Mark tells us. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, you'll never hear anything about the disciples, by the way, in the next 20 verses. Very strange. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him And I'm sure one of the disciples was like, my gosh, my mom wasn't kidding. This place is terrifying. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So let's pause for just a moment. We understand what those words mean, that he had been chained hand and foot, um, that they were no longer able to subdue him. But don't miss the implication. The people in the town had chained this man hand and foot. 
Previously, they had subdued him in a graveyard. This is how they treated this man with a deep and devastating condition, right? It isn't like they tried to care for him in some sort of way. They ostracized him. They put him out there away from the town in the graveyard. Leave us alone. You're scaring us and the children. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. And then Mark explains, Oh, for Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. It's almost as if Mark forgot to say that, like forgot to tell the story, and, but he didn't have any whiteout with him. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot to tell you. Jesus told the impure spirits to come out of the man, and so that's, that's what had happened, and that's why the man said that to Jesus. It almost makes me wonder if Jesus just constantly is walking around demanding impure spirits to come out of people, and we don't even know about it. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? We'll come back to that. Very important. Um, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And we'll, we'll come back to that too. Very important. Uh, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Apparently there's something about the area that these impure, unclean spirits really like. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Very curious, right? Very curious thing happening here. The herd, about 2,000 in number, we'll come back to that, they rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off. They reported in the town and in the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and he told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And, and so Jesus does. Jesus will not stay where Jesus is not wanted. They say, we, we don't want you here anymore. You've got to go. And he says, okay, I'll go. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how the Lord has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, notice, not his family. He, Jesus says, go to your family, go to your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters who knew you were chained up in the graveyard. And he says, no, I'm going to go to the town square. Decapolis means ten cities. And he says, I'm just going to go to the town square and I'm going to tell everybody what Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when they arrive in this region across the lake, there is no welcome parade. There is no ribbon, ribbon cutting with the Chamber of Commerce. There is no key to the city from the mayor, right? In Galilee, there are large crowds that gather to hear Jesus' teaching. But on this side of the lake, they only find a deranged man chained up in a graveyard without any clothes. That's probably a phrase you did not expect to hear in church this morning. And the disciples are thinking, it's worse over here than we thought. 
Let's get out of here. But Jesus is not surprised. And at no point do we get the sense that he thinks this might have been a bad idea. Instead, Jesus does three things. He has to do three things because I'm telling you about it in a sermon, right? In the first century, um, there was a father in modern medicine, a guy named Hippocrates. That's where we get the Hippocratic Oath. This is a picture from his Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> Hippocrates once wrote, all forms of psychic disease are from natural causes. In other words, this man's behavior can be explained by natural phenomenon. This, spec, uh, this perspective is very common in our world today. If you were to read this passage aloud um, in a public school or in your office or you know, in the grocery store, check out aisle. First of all, that'd be pretty weird. Second of all, you get people who are saying, well, no, we can explain that psychologically. Like this man needed to see a therapist. He, he needed to see a, a psychiatrist. This man needed some help from something that can be explained medically. And it is a gift. People that are they're therapists or psychiatrists, psychologists, those are important things that Christians should feel free to avail themselves of or other people. But I want you to know that, that the scriptures are unequivocal, that there are not only natural things that happen to us, there are also things that happen in the spiritual world. If you've ever met a Christian who lives in the third world, they would tell you that emphatically that there are things that are happening spiritually that cannot be explained naturally by modern medicine. We here in the West, we, we try to explain everything this way. We've got Hippocrates to thank for that. He kind of charted the path and said, everything's natural. It can all be explained. It's all medical. There's no spiritual world. There's nothing you need to worry about there. The writers of the Gospels would say, no, actually there is unseen cosmic forces at work in the world. Um, now, their name, Legion, was the name of a first-century Roman battalion. And remember, on the other side of the lake, this is the center of Roman military power and might, right? And so when the, when the demons say our name is Legion, they're, they're aligning themselves with a, with a center of power on that side of the lake, um, the occupying military forces that are stationed in the nearby Decapolis, right? And remember, there's a lot of tension between Romans and, and Jews uh, there in the Holy Land. But it's as if this man has become the scapegoat for his community. Um, when he uses that name, it's as if he's taken on all of their evil tendencies and then they've banished him for it, right? They've chained him up because he reflects back all of the things about them that are, that are impure or unclean. All the gnarly stuff that happened in their temples, all the ways that the Romans were... Um, putting God's people under their thumb. It's almost as if he's a reflection of the worst side of them. But first, Jesus offers the man healing, right? Whatever Hippocrates said, whether it's a medical thing or a spiritual condition, the writers of the scriptures say there's a spiritual thing going on, Jesus heals him immediately. And so this man surrenders him, his body to Jesus for healing. And I think it's really important that we understand that really, Jesus really does go around doing this all the time. Um, remember in Mark chapter 1, I want to turn there. If you've got a Bible, turn back to Mark chapter 1. Um, in verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and as the Sabbath came, and Jesus went into the synagogue and teach, the people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Remember, the teachers of the law would just parrot what other people had said. They would just quote other people all the time, and Jesus spoke with his own voice. Jesus saw a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit. And that evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. 
It's almost word for word what happens in Gerasene in a graveyard. But Jesus is not limited by location. He will heal someone on Saturday in the synagogue, (laughs) or he will heal someone in a graveyard in the Gerasenes. Um, A number of members of our church are going with Pastor Brian this week over to the Holy Land. Um, I'm so jealous. Never been there. 22 of us heading out there with Pastor Brian, Pastor Joyer going, big crew. Um, And there's a tendency, I've noticed, especially when we talk about the Holy Land, to talk about, well, that's a special place, right? That's a sacred place. And we have a tendency as humans to to decide that some places are holier or are better than others. But you, but you don't actually find that teaching in the scriptures. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6 when, um, when uh, the seraph are all in the temple? Remember that passage? It's a great one. It, we should make it into a song or something. Because there's all these angels and the train of his robe fills the temple and they're crying to one another, holy, holy, holy. Wouldn't that be, make a great song? They're crying to one another, holy, holy, holy. The Lord God is holy and the whole earth is full of his glory. It's not just the temple. They're not just saying like this temple is really cool. The train of his robes filling the temple and it's filled with his glory. No, they say the whole earth is filled with his glory. And Jesus is not limited by location in the same way that God is not limited by location. Jesus as the embodiment of of God in human flesh is not limited by just going to the synagogue on Saturday. He also goes to a graveyard in the Gerasenes. Jesus not only offers healing, though, for this man, um, he, he not only heals his body, he also reforms, reshapes, and remakes his mind. Um, Jesus heals his body and also informs his mind, teaching him. We don't know exactly what Jesus said, but we know that this man sits calmly at Jesus' feet. And remember, in the first century, to sit at someone's feet was to make them your rabbi and for you to be their disciple. Remember in Luke 10, Mary and Martha and you're not supposed to sit at the rabbi's feet, right? Because that's taking the posture of a disciple. So Jesus not only heals his body, he reforms his mind. And I find it fascinating that that's the part that upsets the crowd more than anything else. Did you notice that? It's not that the pigs ran through the town and jumped off a cliff, which would be enough to upset any bacon lover, right? No, they're upset because this man who was deluded and and deranged, who was literally possessed by evil spirits, so much so that the crowd had chained him hand and feet in a graveyard, is now sitting in his right mind. And you would hope that the townspeople would say, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We are so glad you brought healing and wholeness to this man who needed it. But they do the exact opposite. They get mad at Jesus, and they ask Jesus to leave. And he does. You can almost hear the disciples breathe breathe a sigh of relief, right? They're like, yeah, this was crazy over here. we got to get home quickly. I would have thought Jesus might want to stick around. That journey across the Sea of Galilee had been very dangerous. Why not make the trip worthwhile? All you've done is encountered one guy, right? But before leaving, Jesus does one more thing. He has healed his body. He has informed his mind. And then as Jesus gets in the boat, the man wants to come along to join his band of disciples, but Jesus says no. And have you ever heard of the 13th disciple, right? Doesn't really have a ring to it, right? Got to stick with 12. Jesus says no because he's been asked to leave, but he wants someone to stay behind and to make it clear that one greater than these evil spirits, one greater than the Roman army, has now arrived. 
Jesus wants someone to stay, stay behind and be a missionary on the other side of the lake. And he knows his disciples aren't going to do it. This man surrenders his body for healing. He surrenders his mind for teaching. And he then surrenders his voice for proclaiming the good news of what God has done. Um, now, at this point in the sermon, I want to I pause and invite you to have a little brainstorming exercise. We've kind of imagined what it might have been like for these disciples to go to the other side of the lake. So just for a moment, close your eyes if it's helpful. I'll wake you up. Um, take a moment and think. Who's on the other side of your lake? Who is your other? Is it a family member from who you've been estranged? Is it someone in your office you can't stand? Is it your next door neighbor who throws parties all night on Saturday night when you're trying to sleep because you have to preach on Sunday morning? Or is that just me? Who is your other? Is it a member of another generation and you just don't understand them, how they see the world? Is it someone who voted differently than you this past Tuesday? If you're taking notes this morning, maybe write it down. Unless they're sitting next to you, then don't. You know, scriptures tell us that we're supposed to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. And sometimes those are the same people. Who's your other? Um, a while back, I learned of this scientific study of brain scans. Maybe you've heard of something like this. It's true. Um, researchers at UCLA and Dartmouth have been um, scanning people's brains and have figured out how they can predict who someone will become, a f become friends with. Start to understand how someone's brain work, and they've concluded that we are hardwired to bond with certain people. And if we're hardwired to bond with certain people, then you could obviously infer that we're hardwired to not bond with others and thus create others. In other words, we're hardwired to stay on our side of the lake, on our side of the street. We're hardwired to stay on our side of the driveway, right? And remember last week's text that Brian shared with us. Um, this Jesus was willing to battle the wind and the waves to go to the other side of the lake. He was willing to risk his disciples' lives to better the life of this one deranged man in a graveyard. Jesus thought it worthwhile, apparently. At no point are we told he thought, well, that was kind of a bust. We only got to see that one guy, and gosh, we risked our lives to do that? How terrible was that? It wasn't worth it. There's a um, pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, he taught in an underground seminary um, hidden from the Third Reich of Nazi Germany. Though he was um, a pacifist, he was ultimately killed by Nazi Germany by his involvement in an assassination plot of Adolf Hitler. During his time hidden out from the Third Reich of Nazi Germany, he wrote this book called Life Together. It includes these words. I think we've got them on the screen. He said, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, Jesus was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. And for this cause he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. And so the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of the cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. 
Bonhoeffer continues by quoting Martin Luther, uh, who said, The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? So good to have friends, isn't it? So good to be a part of a church. Uh, so good to sit amongst the roses and the lilies. It's so good. And we are so good at it. We love to get together in our holy little huddles. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, The Christian belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. See, on that other side, Jesus' disciples found exactly what they were expecting. Um, Different people with different beliefs and different customs, different ways of understanding the world, and we will too. I mean, they found people that they utterly abhorred, and for very good reason. Think about all the stuff going on in those temples. It is not something any lover of God should be anywhere near. And yet, the people were worth the trip. See, on the other side of the world or the other side of our driveway, we will find people with different customs, with different beliefs, with different values, things that we will utterly abhor. And as we do, if we have eyes to see, we will see in them a reflection of ourselves, of our own brokenness that's in need of healing, of our own will that's in need of shaping, of our own voice in need of proclaiming. And we are not merely called to kneel at Jesus' feet for healing or to sit at Jesus' feet for informing, dressed in his righteousness. These are gifts that we receive among friends in a cloistered life amongst the roses and the lilies, but we're not called to stay there. We're called to follow him with a voice for proclaiming as he leads us to the other side, and he will. For Jesus not only went to the other side of the lake, he came from heaven to earth for us while we were the enemies of God. That's what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 5, right? While you were yet enemies of God, Christ died for you, the ungodly. While you were enemies of God, while, while you wanted nothing to do with God, that's when this Jesus came for you. So let's return to your other. What's one step you could take toward them this week? Maybe it's a telephone call to be made, or an email to be written. Maybe it's trying to see the world from their perspective. Instead of watching this cable news station, you watch this cable news station and see how long you can stand it for. Maybe it's asking God to soften your heart for that email that you just can't write yet, that phone call you just can't make, the channel you just can't change. God, would you soften my heart to the other? Because I know I've got them. It's so human to be hardwired to have an other. Hardwired to people we like and hardwired to people we don't. It seemed like Jesus' trip to the other side of the lake was a bust. Um, And yet, even as they were asked to leave, um, they did return. Um, In a few weeks, we'll see in Mark chapter 8, Jesus and his disciples return to the Decapolis. And the people hear, hear, hear that he's there, and they come running. 
Um, and before you know it, there are 4,000 men plus women and children. It's an instant megachurch. But why the different response? Why do they go back another time and all these people come running? And we don't know, but I'd love to conjecture that it's because this one man surrendered his body for healing, surrendered his mind for informing, and then surrendered his voice for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I'd love to think that this one guy who was told to go to his family, didn't go to his family, instead went to the town square and wouldn't shut up about it. Two chapters prior at the feeding of the 5,000, there's 12 basketfuls of bread left over. Do you remember that? It's the gospel writer's way of hint, hint, nudge, nudge. 12 basketfuls. In God, there is no scarcity. There is only abundance for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in Mark chapter 8, there are seven basketfuls left. And why do the gospel writers tell us that? Because they want us to know that there is not only an abundance for God's 12 tribes of Israel, there is an abundance for all seven tribes of Canaan the ones who are driven out of the Holy Land, who are on the other side of the lake, the ones that Jesus saw fit to cross that lake for, the ones that Jesus saw fit to come from heaven for. And so, God, would you open our eyes and ears to the other side of the lake that we have? We've all got them. And we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds to see the ways that we have made someone and other, someone for whom your son Jesus died. Would you give us the courage, like our kids are learning about, the boldness to take one step this week? Maybe that's a phone call to be made, an email to be written, a channel to be changed in search of understanding our other better. Perhaps it's a simple prayer almost wordless, trusting that your spirit will fill in for us, that you would soften our heart for something that we aren't quite ready for. Because we have an other, we have an enemy, we have someone who is so different than us. Different customs, different beliefs, different values, things that we are disgusted by. Would you soften our heart for them because Jesus softened his heart and came for us? Would you heal our bodies? Would you inform our minds? Would you use our voices to share the good news of your love that the world so desperately needs to hear? We pray it all in his name. Amen.